Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is putting an employee development plan in place. I have a terrific expert today who's going to share her thoughts. Our expert is Ruth Lee. Ruth has a terrific background in mortgage banking. Her current firm that she owns is as CEO is Big Think. Prior to that, she started out as a loan officer. She started her own mortgage brokerage firm. She expanded it to six states. She really has done everything in mortgage banking. She also started a correspondent business. So we're really thrilled to have Ruth with us today. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this is such an important topic, but before we get to the the heart of it, let's talk about how did you get into managing and what was the best advice you ever heard on this topic? Well, this goes back quite a ways. The first company that I worked for in managing was named Montgomery Wards. And I was 22 years old and I was tasked with managing the expansion of a home improvement program to the 26 stores in the Mm Mid-Atlantic. And I built the entire in-store lead generation program and I hired and trained and managed the entire team. Wow. Mm -hmm. Didn't know I was out of my depth, but I was so sure of myself when you're 22, you're so sure of yourself. Yeah, that's really a great comment. So what was the best advice? I mean, when you got this management position, how did you know how to manage? You know, one of the best, probably the best advice I ever got was hire slow, fire fast. And, you know, when I was younger, I really struggled with the human resources part of management. I would get very personally engaged. Um, and, you know, it was really hard. So, you know, higher slow, I would spend a lot of time, bring in additional people, have a couple of interviews. I'm a salesperson. I like salespeople. And so I would get sold. And so it was really important that I bring in the entire team. But on the flip side, when you realize it's just not going to work out, I also really struggled and I would let it linger. I was afraid to confront them, not really knowing how, and that would start to infect the rest of my team and eat at my credibility. And so I had to learn, hire slow, fire fast. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I actually dedicated my consulting business to that because I was in the same boat as you were, <laughs> is that, again, quite common in the financial service arena, the managing component is really left for you to learn yourself. And yeah. you certainly moved to the key topic about it all starts with hiring correctly, for sure. Were you a book reader? Or was there management books that you looked at or, or talk about that for our listeners? I'll tell you two, and one is the one that I've taken with my career, and it was given to me in college, and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, and if you haven't heard it about it, uh, you're um, living under a rock, I guess, but it is one of the greatest books. The first part was really about me. The second part, Interdependence, is really about managing people. Mm -hmm. I didn't really need that in college, but it has grown with me over the course of my career. Yeah, it's a very famous book. It's interesting. that is one that's really recognized as a classic. In fact, I think it's one of the top 100 management books. So that was a great one really to use for your for your strategy. So when you talk about kind of all these years of managing, I and mean, especially you've been entrepreneurial, um, 
what has been the secret sauce from your viewpoint that many times people miss, and especially when you're a good salesperson? I think that quite often people look for external reasons for things to not be going the way that they intend them to go. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in accountability. I am the key. The key to my team, my team is a reflection of my ideas, my mm -hmm. bias, my attitude, my work ethic, much more than the company as a whole, because I am that liaison between the corporate structure and my team and their success. If I believe in education, so does my team. If I have a cruddy attitude towards the corporate management, so does my team. So my attitude and actions are always on display. One ill-advised comment can destroy so much progress. And so I always tell my new managers, if you're having a bad day, keep it to yourself. Close your door because everything that happens externally within your management team, you'll get the productivity or you'll get the destructive behavior that comes along with it. Wow, that's really a great point for sure. And I think sometimes when we're managers, we don't realize that even an off-the-cuff comment can really have tremendous impact. So that's a really good point. What about from a, a key practice standpoint, when you look back over all these uh, organizations that you've been involved with, you've started them up, what is the practice that you keep coming back to each time? You know, and this one, I thought very deeply about this one, and it's, it's going to seem very intuitive, but it's hard. I come back to honesty. I almost see it as my superpower of being honest without being hurtful. You know, management is not for the faint of heart, and not everyone is built to confront the issue and not the person with candid, honest feedback. And I really feel that, you know, unless people know where they stand, unless they know what they're doing right or wrong or in the middle, you really can't help them grow. And so being fully honest, deeply honest, is hard, but it's really what I always come back to in management. Well, that's a hard combination to be honest, which is certainly half of the issue, but then not being hurtful. Talk a little bit about that before we talk about the main topic today. Well, and again, it goes to, you know, always looking to confront the issue not the person. People, mm. you know, when they are working for you, they're usually trying to do the right thing. If they're not, different issue. But if they're trying to do the right thing, maybe, you know, they don't really understand. Go back to the seven habits of highly effective people. Go back and, you know, find something that really resonates with them. And we'll talk about an employee development plan, but something that helps them really, you know, be successful. And if they can't be successful, be honest enough to recognize that for them and for you and let them go. It's a kindness, really. Right. And I, I think so many times when you see inexperienced managers, they hold on, hold on, wishing for it to be different. When many times the real issue is during the interview process, they really didn't see what that person was truly about. And in other words, it really is a fault that starts back during the interview. Is that something you agree? I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, that is, it's a skill and it's not something, you know, like I mentioned in the very beginning, I'm a salesperson. 
I like to be sold. And so, you know, bringing in a salesperson, I mean, they're going to, they're going to talk themselves up. The interview process is not for being coy. So I, I find that very attractive. But if you identify that they're a misfit in the very beginning, and it doesn't mean that they're a bad fit for someone else, just for you and your strengths and weaknesses, that's really where it all starts. And that's where the money and the expense of hiring and firing and building a team is really comes into, it really comes into play there. No, that's that's an excellent point, which really drives us to the next, our core topic today is putting an employee development plan in place. Talk about when do you do that? What does that look like? And how do you deliver that to the employee? Sure. And if you don't mind, I just want to talk a little bit about the numbers. You know, research confirms that engagement lowers employee intention to leave and increases their productivity. Mm -hmm. That's just true. And so if you have nearly 70 percent of current employees aren't engaged at work and, you know, those engaged employees are much less likely to leave their organization and increase their productivity. So you have on one hand, a lack of engagement. And on the other hand, you have engaged employees. And what does it cost? The average employee exit costs 33% of their annual salary. So it's about culture, not about spending money. You don't need nap rooms. You don't need to have ping pong tables. You need to have a really engaged plan. And that means, do you have meaningful work? Do you have hands-on management? Do you have a positive work environment? Do you offer growth opportunity? And do your, does your team trust in your leadership? If you can build those five elements to drive the engagement of your employees, you will have an irresistible organization and much less likely to have employee turnover. Talk about each one of those issues. Uh, uh, for instance, obviously engagement, I think every manager wants there to be positive engagement, but it really does start during the interview process. And then, of course, what ends up happening many times of what I see in mortgage banking companies is that, especially if the person's a good producer, they tend to leave them alone, which is actually the wrong mm -hmm. strategy. Those individuals really need that engagement. Talk about how you actually deliver it. When you are really building a program of engagement, I mean, one of the great parts about being the manager is you get to ask. And so when you're thinking about your business goals, you want to go up the chain and find out what are our business goals and how can we align our employees' engagement with that. You know, you have a lot of ways that you can engage employees from education and you can teach them all about your company. They find it wonderful to really understand the context of why they're there and how they fit in. But if you have a culture of engagement, you are really looking at, you know, a culture that motivates, it empowers, it challenges, and it's respectful. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, it's like good taste. You know it when you see it, right? Right. And, you know, when you walk into an organization and as a manager, you have to really establish that culture of engagement. If, if you believe that you're the only important person in the room and you're the only person that can be awesome, None of this, this is all just a, a, a conversation that is going to go out the window. But if you really want the team to do well, you build something that it's for small, empowered teams. You offer them clear, transparent goals. You provide 
all you always provide coaching you invest in management development um, and, and that's really important whether it's in yourself or if it's in the management team that you're you're building I've always said that you can't grow in an organization until you can replace yourself you want to continue to grow that person who's underneath who's growing up to replace you and you don't want them to stink at it you want them to be awesome at it so that you don't have to get drugged back in you raised the question which I think is really an important one and I think so often in mortgage banking there's this issue that really what motivates people is money. And especially when you're in commission sales, there's that prevalent thinking. Of course, all the research shows that's not the case. And reality of it is, is that this issue of engagement really is what drives retention and the productivity component of it. And so how do you have these one-on-one -on -one conversations? A lot of mortgage companies, they don't really have annual reviews. They don't really sit down with the people. It's all, well, let me see your production numbers. And, and if they're bad, then I'll be talking to you because we're going to have to fix it versus the good ones that really aren't getting the attention. So, talk about that for our listeners. I think, you know, if you're looking at a unique employee plan, you need hindsight, you need foresight and you need insight. And doesn't that sound like something you'd see on a slide? But let me kind of walk you through that one. Right. So the hindsight, you want to ask the employee about their career background and their accomplishments and where you, you need to really be invested in where they're going if you want them to be a high performance producer. I mean, if, if you don't, you know, and, and that really is a, a question for yourself. Do you want high performance producers or do you want to be the only high performance producer? But if you're asking for that, you want to find out about their hindsight. What happened? And then foresight. You want to take into account the present needs and priorities of the business and, you know, expectations of where you may go where they might fit into any of those future plans for growth um, and how you might be able to incent them to really amp up their performance so that they can achieve those goals and then the insight it's a combination of the past and the future and really looking to see how they intersect and align how you can bring your employee into it and the business and how that determines the plan for their training and development and so I think that, you know, just formulaically, boom, 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 and then consider the skills and training you need by it for each worker. So when the employee, let's say they're new and they started with you, do you sit down with them on the first day or within that first week and then have this type of discussion? Or do you wait for 90 days to go by? Or how do you practically handle it? I am a big believer and for years I did and I would always do an intro to the company and everybody would say you know I mean I would get all kinds of guff from some of my fellow managers some people thinking that you know I was just kind of getting out there and putting my name out there but really what I found most important because I was head of sales and head of revenue for a large organization I wanted everyone whether it was the receptionist the person who indexed documents or it was an underwriter to understand the context of where they fit into our organization why they were important and I think that it's a huge mistake to let people linger in a culture of silence where they're filling in their own blanks they're filling in the blanks as to why they're important and to why they matter I want to tell them immediately 
I can't agree with you more, and I too often don't see it. And really, you've raised the real question about, if, especially with adults, if they don't understand the why, even if it's a processor or, or a clerical position, um, they are important to your team. And it's really foolhardy to think that um, just because it's a lower level position that they shouldn't understand the why of what you're doing. Talk about that for everyone. Well said, well said. And, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, when whether or not you start, wherever you start, you are, it's a long career, right? So some of these, you know, new indexers are going to be star loan officers or star underwriters or star managers someday. They're just starting out at a different place. And some people, you know, that's really where, I mean, they're going to live their career there. And that's okay, too. We want them to be successful. But I, I really do feel on so many levels that as you are evolving that person, you start at the beginning and, and know that people are going to leave you. I used to get really like my feelings would get hurt and, you know, it was really hard because somebody who I had invested in left. Well, at the end of the day, I'm not going to change who I am as a manager because people leave. People leave. for That's what happens. Mm -hmm. But in terms of building that kind of a skill set, and, and that's, that's, I think, how I would approach it. So when you're talking about the employees that you managed, how often were you sitting down with them and having these types of conversations? Talk about practically from your view, like how often are we having these conversations? How else was it being handled? I think it really also depends on what kind of a relationship you build with your team. You know, I mean, some people say, I have an open door policy, except my door is always closed. And so, you know, when I had an open door policy, it was for everything. You know, if you want to understand, I'm here. I, I will spend the extra time. I'll go home late today so that I can make sure you understand. And it was a non-judgmental understanding. I'm not going to have you come in here and be like, why don't you know everything that I know? Of course not. I want you to come in. I want you to feel free to be better, stronger, faster. And my job, as I see it as a manager, is to facilitate that. And if you leave better, stronger, and faster every day, I did my job. And the company wins. I win. Right. So how many times, I'm sorry, I didn't answer the question, but how, how often was it? Yeah. Daily if necessary? Monthly, if necessary, it really depended on the individual. So when you're putting, let's say, a learning plan together, does the individual, sometimes you run across, well, they're not sure what they don't know. <laughs> and so therefore, <laughs> what, what is the learning plan looking like? I mean, how did you, did you have a certain things that you, besides the, the underwriting guidelines, I mean, we know all about that. Um, but again, how did you kind of frame it? And many times they look for direction from the manager on uh, what they should be learning. Well, and, you know, it really, often it just depends on the, the skills and the abilities of, of the person. I've had people who started working for me who were full-on sales enablement, who went on to run there, there is, I have a friend who's a COO and ended up being a chief operations officer because she was so highly detailed and she ran our sales team like an ops team. <laughs> right. So, you know, and she was, you know, fantastic at being able to do that. And then you have others who, you know, they really need to be in and, and they're never they're they're never really reaching for that that next kind of level. They don't want to go into the C suite. 
but I would really build a, a just an education program that was going to help them be more valuable to the company and therefore they were more valuable from a monetary perspective and able to achieve higher income over time. Well, that's really a good point. And actually, time has flown by. Uh, For our listeners today, why don't you share a couple of takeaways that you think is important for them to know? So, you know, a couple of takeaways is, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, one, always be working on yourself, hone the blade, whether it's looking at the seven habits of highly effective people or the one I've got on my, you know, nightstand right now, which is the Harvard Business Review's 10 Must Reads on Managing Yourself. Hone the blade. Always be working on yourself. And then, you know, the second part, which is really be present for your employees. Think about them and what it is that they need and how they're going to be successful. You just don't start a company and hire people and then they just autonomously do and achieve and meet your goals. Be involved. And if they're not doing what you need them to do, figure out a plan of employee enablement and development to to get it back in. Well, they're great words of wisdom for sure. So I want to thank you, Ruth, for sharing your thoughts with us today and look for our next podcast.